Genesis chapter 22, I trust it's the end of a familiar passage, familiar account to you. If not, prepare for a beautiful story when you read it for yourself sometime. Genesis 22 and verse 13, Then Abraham lifted his eyes and looked, and there behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by its horns. So Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up for a burnt offering instead of his son. If you don't know the story, <laughs> that's kind of a... That's kind of an important little point there, isn't it? And Abraham called the name of the place, The Lord will provide Jehovah Jireh. As it is said to this day, In the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. Let's bow our heads again this morning. Heavenly Father, we praise you, Lord, that you have all things in hand. Father, you are the Almighty, the over all, the all in all. Father, you are everything that... Nothing else can be, Father, the totality of power and the totality of grace and the totality of love and goodness and all of those things. Father, I'm thankful for who you are and what you are. And Lord, I know that I can trust you to do anything that you call me to, to strengthen me for that, Father, to enable us for that. But Lord, there are those times when we look elsewhere. Very simply, Lord, help us not to do so. Help us always to keep our minds, our thoughts, our intents and purposes only in your will and in obedience to that. Father, strengthen us this morning to accept your word, to value it, Father, to fellowship and joy in it together, one with another. I love you, Lord, and I thank you for this time. Bless this to us, we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, as is typical, uh, well, not Perhaps not entirely all the time, but my lesson, I feel, ties into much of what we've already considered this morning. I felt like it kind of did last week as well. Uh, You know, oftentimes that is very simply because we're a needy people, and the Lord is the provider and the provision of all of those needs, the supplier of all of those needs. And so oftentimes there is an element that involves... Well, our neediness in just about any lesson that we have because we need his word and the word being provided in the moment is a provision for a need and so on and so forth. But that being said, much like other times that we've gotten, that we get together, we took prayer requests this morning. You heard needs for work and you heard needs for uh, physical needs and you heard requests for needs for wisdom and all of those things, the health issues and so on and so forth. And all of those things can be concerning to us and obviously they are because we bring them before our brothers and sisters and to a certain extent ask them to help us burden them a lot of a lot of people before they share things with me they say i know you're burdened i don't want to burden you further and then they go ahead and share the burden you know it is what it is you know that it's an understanding it's what we do right and i'm not saying that because i'm like how dare they that's not at all what i'm saying We burden one another just by simply raising our hand and saying, I know you all have a lot on your plate. (laughs) Can I give you another helping of my own stuff? And praise the Lord. He gives us the strength to carry that out and to bear the burdens one with another. And so that being said, we heard these things that are concerning and burdensome to us this morning. And as you consider those things and how those people are dealing with those things and, and the potential for their own 
Well, their own flesh to get involved, I suppose you could say. Our own flesh to get involved in these things that cause us these burdens. You might find yourself, and you might understand if they find themselves dealing with any number of these types of emotions that come along with that. Bitterness and and envy and these things that I have listed up here for you. And as you look at those things, well, I trust that you look at those and say, well, how many of those are godly? Let me just ask you that. None of them are. And this is just a small little list. When you get right down to it, none of these are the things that deepen our faith or or exhibit a depth of faith in us. Uh, You can go through Scripture. I won't give you Scriptures for all of them, but Ephesians 4.31 says, Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. Well, that addresses bitterness, doesn't it? That addresses envy and cynicism to a certain measure. Uh, Fear not, for I am with you, Isaiah says. I will strengthen you. Yes, I will help you, the Lord says. There's, we need not feel helpless. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, and so on and so forth. All of these things are addressed in Scripture as not being those things that God would provide to us. I'm looking at this bottom one this morning. This desperation. <laughs> I don't know why the Lord put it on my heart. Perhaps we're feeling desperate these days, or perhaps we have a time coming up where we might find ourselves feeling desperate in a situation. But very heavily, the Lord put this on my heart to consider and to address this morning. Where does desperation, uh, just a need for a resolution to an issue, I'm, I'm desperate in this moment to see this situation come to an end. I'm desperate for a solution to this situation. I'm desperate for, I just need resolution to this. Where does that type of uh, despair, I have a definition that I've been looking at, a number of different definitions, it being, well, a feeling of despair that prompts recklessness in behavior. Or a feeling of despair that, that shows or involves a hopeless sense that a situation is so bad as to be impossible to deal with. Or having lost hope to be desperate is to lose hope. Where does God fit in those things? Where does a godly mindset fit in with such things as recklessness, hopelessness, impossibility to deal with, lost hope, and so on and so forth? Well, everywhere in Scripture tells us that we shouldn't be reckless. Everywhere in Scripture tells us we're never hopeless. When we're in Christ, everywhere in Scripture it tells us that nothing is impossible to deal with. We understand this, and it can't just be, well, just those Christian tropes that we just make part of our ah, this is part of our understanding. It's fact. It's truth. Job in Job chapter three and verse one says, "After this, after this man who suffered the likes of which very few have ever suffered, after he lost his kids, lost his his finances, lost his money." Uh, his wife, his wife did not support him in the moment. This man suffered, and it says after this, Job opened his mouth and cursed the day of his birth. And Job spoke and said, "May the day perish on which I was born." <laughs> this is a man who is in despair, and this is a man who, at times, as you read his account, you'll find that he did seem to feel desperate from time to time. And saints, you might not be experiencing or ever will experience quite what Job experienced, but perhaps you might feel just a bit desperate. Maybe not saying, man, the day that I was born, oh, I rue that day. I hope you don't ever feel that way. But you, well, some people do uh, look at their lives and say, I just want my life to resolve 
If not get better, come to an end. Just finish. Uh, Some people have done that and taken it into their own hands. They were so desperate as as to make something happen. Saints, we need not do that as children of God. And I don't just mean ending our life. I mean be desperate to the point that we act recklessly and make something happen that the Lord would not have to happen. That's the point of our lesson this morning, is that acting in desperation has proven to be quite dangerous to the child of God. We see examples. There are examples sitting here in this place, myself included. I can give you testimony to... Any number of desperate acts that I took trying to make something happen, even with all of the best intentions, and they were outside of the will of God, eh, caused me problems. This morning we'll talk about why. Why desperation is dangerous for the child of God. And we'll look at the very clear and very obvious alternative. Now, again, there are lots and lots of uh, examples in Scripture of those ones who created, who, who uh, behaved rashly, who, for whatever intentions they might have had, good or bad, or eh, somewhere in between, different ones tried to make things work for themselves. Uh, they, they reached out for ideas. They, they, they had this purpose and this goal, and this is where they were trying to reach, and they looked to, well, kind of dilute themselves with a whole number of different ideas of how to resolve that situation or how to reach that conclusion that they're looking for. And they were creating bad options for themselves. And you'll hear that that is a common theme this morning, creating bad options, diluting them, their lives with options and other alternatives. <laughs> I was cleaning up a mess here recently with, uh, with Emmy that she had made. I won't go into it, but I was cleaning it and it involved a lot of dilution. And so while I was sitting there talking with her and she was watching me clean up the mess, I told her that old hazmat trope that was... The solution to pollution is dilution. You know, just, just overwhelm it with water or whatever the case might be. So I was bringing on the water. The solution to pollution is dilution. And she nods very sober. I said, you understand that? She's like, yes, yes. I said, oh, well, what did I say? And she goes, belushi, belushi, belushi. And so, <laughs> you know, it works. What, whatever you hear, the solution to pollution is dilution. Listen, saints. When the Lord gives you guidance, and He gives you leading, and He gives you direction, He says, this is the direction that I have for you, and this is the, this is the solution for you. Don't dilute that solution. Don't dilute it with other options and other alternatives. I've said it before. I had a fantastic realtor when we moved here seven years ago. And he said, we don't need lots and lots of wrong options. We just need the one right one and the one perfect one. And we understand That's what we're looking for, just what the Lord has for us. We don't need to create options for ourselves in the things of God. Now, I'm going to take you to Genesis chapter 16, a preface for that passage that we just read a moment ago in regards to that man, Abram, and his wife, Sarai, uh, later on to be known as Abraham and Sarah, of course. Uh, in, In chapter 16 is where we'll pick up their account, and we'll see that they, well... To put a real fine point on it, they created an option for themselves. Uh, they took things into their own hands. Now, before our, uh, even this passage here in Genesis 16, in chapter 15, God had reminded Abraham, had reminded him that, well, his descendants, what did he say there in verse 18, the second half of that verse? To your descendants I have given this land from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates. And then he lists the people that are there that would no longer be if everything went according to his plan. 
But that being said, he said, to your descendants, I'm going to give these. I'm, I've, I have given this to you. But the problem is in verse 1, where it says, Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. Uh, that's a difficult obstacle to work around if you're looking for descendants. No fertility specialists, no medications, no hormone therapy, and so on and so forth. None, none of those things were in place back then. And adoption wasn't necessarily... Well, the Lord said it was going to be of Abram's seed, so adoption wasn't in the well, wasn't in the running for a real option there. It goes on and says, She had an Egyptian maidservant whose name was Hagar. So Sarai said to Abram, See now, the Lord has restrained me from bearing children. Please go into my maid. Perhaps I shall obtain children by her. And Abram heeded the voice of Sarai. Saints, I'm, I don't think I'm being overly critical when I say that Abram and Sarai got a little desperate there, didn't they? Maybe not just, you know, just drastically so, just, oh my goodness, wringing their hands and that sort of thing. But there was a desperation there. They, they didn't give God the opportunity to see through what he was going to see through. They took things into their own, into their own hands. They created an option for themselves, and it wasn't the option that God had desired for them. And so they ended up doing something that they regretted. If you look in verse 5, it says, Then Sarai said to Abram, and this is a little bit later, My wrong be upon you. I gave my maid into your embrace, and when she saw that she had conceived, I became despised in her eyes. The Lord judged between you and me. She did. She got exactly what she wanted. And from the outset, before the baby was even born, problems were being caused there in that situation. Uh, I, I, well, I read a lot of just useless information, much to my chagrin, but I was reading about the invention of the bread slicer recently. You know you're old when you start reading about stupid things. <laughs> that is no offense to you old people. I'm not suggesting that you read stupid things, but I know that my tastes have changed. Uh, I'd be appalled at myself when I, if I was... I'm going to stop there and just leave it. I was reading about a bread slicer, for better or for worse. And the invention of the bread slicer, interestingly enough, it was invented here in Chillicothe, Missouri. I did not know that. The greatest thing since sliced bread, everyone has said, has said that term probably. Uh, and it started sliced bread. The, invent, the actual invention of it happened here in Chillicothe, Missouri. Uh, they say that necessity is the mother of invention. Well, they didn't necessarily need to in, invent a slicer, but if they wanted to do it right, make it to where you didn't have to have a knife, make it to where you didn't have to smash the bread, a bread slicer that would, would do it. I mean, we see the, the, the result of it. We have nice, perfect loaves that are sliced, not smashed. Kids don't have to handle a knife to do this and, you know, cut it and so on and so forth. So the bread slicer actually was a fantastic invention. Now, on top of the consistency in slices and the removing of the dangerous weapon from the kids' hands and cutting that, uh, what they didn't foresee were the ripple effects that were going to take place. Toasters, I guess, were already in, in place. They'd already been invented, but the sale of toasters went absolutely through the roof. And even more so, more drastically, was the sale of peanut butter and jelly. The exponential sales of peanut butter and jelly, because mom now could say, well, 
Make yourself a sandwich because the kids don't have to have a knife. They didn't foresee when they invented this bread slicer that all these other things were going to be impacted. That Jif and Skippy and Peter Pan and all of these things were going to just blow up like they did. And look at the market share that they hold in the food space today. Peanut butter and jelly, it's huge because of what happened there in Chillicothe. Uh, Abram and Sarai, they got desperate. And they invited something into their life that had ripple effects. It brought heartache and it brought contention and it brought difficulty. It brought a man that, well, that God describes in Genesis 16.12 as a wild man. He will be a wild man, it says in Genesis 16.12. His hand shall be against every man and every man's hand against him, this being Ishmael. And he shall dwell in the presence of all his brethren. And sometimes that term uh, in the presence means in the face of all his brethren. There's a certain measure of chin up, standing in even opposition at times. They created an option that wasn't what God wanted out of an unnecessary desperation. When God told them, I'm going to do this for you. I'm going to do this for you. Just sit tight and let me work. It was entirely unnecessary. Uh, The Lord, we understand, went ahead and worked afterward. He quickened those older bodies some 14 years later. Quickened those bodies that shouldn't have been capable of having children. And Isaac was born, we understand. And, you know, there didn't even have to be Ishmael at the time that he was presented. Uh, (laughs) Lucille Ball, some of you guys know that name. She said, I'd rather regret the things I've done than the things I haven't done. I love Lucy. I don't agree with Lucy. I regret things that I have done. (laughs) And I would much more, much rather regret not having done this or not having seen this than to have the regret of the things that I have done that have ripple effects that I still deal with today. Uh, I don't agree with Miss Lucy there. And I don't believe that Sarah and Abraham would have either. Now, they lived and learned. We understand this. In Hebrews 11, you see both of them listed there. I'm not going to turn there. They're in that chapter that's dedicated very, very much to the identification of faith in these Old Testament ones that, well, were hallmarked by their faith. We, we can see it in the way that they act. Genesis chapter 22. Genesis chapter 22 and verse 1. This takes us to that story of Isaac that we read the last little portion of there in our opening text. We can see how Abraham learned learned not to create options for himself when the Lord, well, has demonstrated that he's going to give us all the option we need. It says here in Genesis 22 and verse 1, It came to pass after these things that God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham. And he said, Here I am. Then he said, Take now your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. Now, if the birth of Abraham's son caused a certain measure, or the lack of the birth of Abraham's son, caused a certain measure of desperation in Abraham's heart, Sarah's heart, how desperate do you think he would have felt at the concept of, well, the death of his son? That one that he loved, how, well, I'll ask you parents, I'll ask any, any here who have someone that they love, if the Lord says, you're to slay that one. It's unthinkable to us. It's absolutely beyond any, any thought. You know, brothers and sisters oftentimes will say, man, I just, I just want to kill him. You know, and it's not even 
it's so far from the truth for normal people that we can't really even consider that. Abraham, at this point, was quite justified, naturally speaking, to have a measure of desperation, right? You suppose that he would have looked or could have looked for any number of other alternatives as opposed to actually killing his son? Naturally speaking, he probably would have acted desperately, bargained with the Lord. Uh, Well, pull a Jonah and run the other direction, perhaps. Any kind of desperate act in order to not have to do that. One thing, one thing if the Lord said, I'm going to take your son, just prepare for it. But it's entirely different when he says, you're going to deliver him to me. Man, next level. Uh, Abraham, I suppose, could have pretended not to hear him. We do that sometimes. Sometimes our desperation causes us to say, "Eh, he didn't really say that to me. He didn't really say that to me. Oh, how often have I heard different individuals and myself have I said, if only the Lord would just make so plain to me. If only he would just tell me exactly what he wants. Jonah, go to Nineveh. Not hearing it. (laughs) And he goes the opposite direction. Abraham could have very well, very easily just said, "I I I didn't hear anything there. He could have done that. He would have met with repercussions, I'm confident. But all of that just to say, Desperation can cause us to act rashly. Desperation had caused Abraham to act rashly in the past. He didn't do it here. He didn't. In verse 3 of Genesis 22. So Abraham, Abraham rose early in the morning. And he saddled his donkey. Took two of his young men with him. It doesn't say that there was any much time elapsed here. He rose up. And he got after it. Took two of his young men with him and Isaac his son. And he split the wood for the burnt offering. And rose and went to the place of which God had told him. Fully prepared to offer Isaac. You know, we're going to go ahead and read the remainder of that story. I wasn't sure that we would, but we will. Uh, Verse 7. But Isaac spoke to Abraham and his his father and said, My father. And he said, Here I am, my son. Then he said, Look, the fire and the wood. But where is the lamb for the burnt offering? And Abraham said, My son, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering. So the two of them went together. Another opportunity (laughs) To act desperately. Man, I tell you what, I'm telling you. I can't read the story without it kind of getting me in the old feels, obviously. Man, the opportunity to be desperate and just do something different is a consistent and a constant, well, presence that's right there for Abraham. And he never took it. My son, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering. So the two of them went together. Then they came to the place of which God had told him, and Abraham built an altar there and placed the wood in order. And he bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar upon the wood. And Abraham stretched out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. So he said, Here I am. And he said, Do not lay your hand on the lad or do anything to him, for now I know that you fear God. Since you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. And there's where we pick up in our opening passage. And Abraham lifted his eyes and looked, and there behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. There was no desperation on Abraham's part here in the direst of circumstances, the direst of situations. He got desperate at the time when he wasn't sure that the promise of God was going to be fulfilled. 
And then here in this time, when you have the presence of that son, the presence of the one that you love. You know, I loved all of my kids before I met them. <laughs> you know, I did. I talked to I talked to them while they were still not born and all of that sort of thing. But, you know, it's, it's one of those things, the thought, the thought of them before I got married. I had a certain measure of love for my kids, but I didn't have faces to them and that sort of thing. I didn't know Judah, Eli, Jaden. Not necessarily in that order, you know. I didn't know who they were going to be. I didn't know when I was 16, but I knew that I wanted kids and I knew that I, ah, that I, that I would love them. And, and man, once they're born, once they're born, once you spend time with them, once you talk with them, it just it's a relationship that grows and deepens and all of those things, as you all well know. When he had Isaac there, and it was something even more... Well, deeper and a greater sense of potential loss than simply the idea of one, the thought of one. Man, could have made him desperate, and yet it wasn't. He wasn't desperate. He didn't act rashly. He didn't create himself options. Abraham, well, he was experienced, and he acted in a manner that demonstrated his experience. Don't try to make another way from what God says is his way. God will provide a lamb. And so he did. And Abraham acted and he was blessed in it. Now, that being said, not everyone does learn from such things. And as we typically do, we look at examples of how to go the opposite direction, unfortunately. Uh, You understand that desperation is something that, well, like we said, just about anyone can experience it. I've experienced it. Perhaps you have too. Sometimes we learn from it as Abraham did, and sometimes we don't. Unfortunately, there's a man, his name is Saul. We're going to turn to 1 Samuel. Uh, Brother David was taking us to 1 Samuel, but we never actually got there. We'll, we'll go ahead and go there uh, this morning in 1 Samuel chapter 28. If you have considered Saul for yourself, and I've studied Saul, studied, studied the man, compared him to David, compared where their failures each were, what their issues were, what led to such failures, what led to their successes. And you can look at Saul and you can, well, as you look at the errors that he made, oftentimes it was as a result of his being desperate, his, his letting his desperation take seed in his heart. Uh, a number of different places, the Philistines would come in and they would set up battle in front of them, set up in, in array and prepare to go to work, prepare to go to battle against Israel. And you would see what Saul would do is he would freak out. It doesn't say that in Scripture. But he would see the people freaking out. He would see the enemy before him. And he would, well, in football terms, you get a quarterback when he takes I'm talking a lot of football these days. He would take a snap, you take a snap, and all the guys are flying around, and you watch a quarterback, sometimes he gets happy feet. He starts doing this, you know, and he just gets a little antsy instead of stepping back five steps, setting and planting and throwing. He gets happy feet. Because he's like, where's my receiver? Where, where's the pressure coming from? You know, and and they, well, they start dancing and they lose their technique. Uh, Saul lost his technique a number of different times. Uh, one time, the Philistines were sitting there and clattering their sabers and rattling their swords and that sort of thing. And so Samuel had told him, wait seven days. Wait seven days, I'll come down. We'll make an offering to the Lord and we'll, we'll do what we need to do, but we'll make sure that we bring the Lord into it in the manner in which he has prescribed for us and we'll have him with us. Saul looked around. Samuel, it's, it's been seven days. It's the seventh day and Samuel's not here. 
quick, get me a lamb. Get me, let's, let's lift up, raise up an altar. And so Saul went and he, well, I should have just read you the account. But he made the uh, sacrifice for himself. And wouldn't you know, as soon as he got desperate and created an option for himself, guess what happened? Here comes Samuel. What's going on? What's happening here, essentially? He, well, you didn't show up. Uh, and he, well, not offended the Lord. He disobeyed the Lord. He sinned. Part of that sin problem we considered this morning. He didn't wait those seven days. That was the option. That was the direction from Lord, from the Lord through the man of God. Seven days and I'll come and we'll do this right. This is the way. He didn't do it. He got desperate. Uh, he was desperate when David was anointed to replace him. Desperate to destroy this man who was going to take his son Jonathan's throne. He was desperate to eliminate him and he chased him like a fool. All over the place going after this one that the Lord had said, This is my anointed. I have taken your kingdom away from you and given it to this man. And Saul didn't accept that. And he got desperate to hang on to something that he had cost himself personally. He created options for himself. And he said, my option is to kill that man that God does not want killed. How well did that fare for Saul? How well does that fare for us when the Lord says, this is what I have? No, I want to go this way. Well, you're going to be swallowed by a fish. You're going to be, well, any number of things. You're going to create a line of people. Well, that end up being... In the face of their brethren. Uh, trouble for others and troubled by others. Uh, ask Abraham, he'll tell you. Saul stood against the Lord and he acted rashly, creating options for himself. He was desperate, oftentimes, and he acted rashly when he couldn't see the answers to it. Or he didn't accept the answers to it. So let's look at one final one here for Saul. In First Samuel chapter 28, uh, the man of God Samuel had died by this time. Once again, the Philistines had mustered themselves up and started rattling their sabers again. Uh, there was battle that was threatened here. There was threat of loss of life, all of these things. And he no longer had the prophet that was there to encourage him and help him and go to the Lord for him and intercede for him and all of that sort of thing. And so he didn't know what to do. What should experience have told him? <laughs> well, I think that experience should have told him the Lord will provide a ram. The Lord is going to take care of you. The Lord is going to, well, he has a will. He has a desire for this. He has a purpose in this. Why don't you go to the Lord about it? Well, instead, he looked elsewhere, and he created a rather unfortunate option. And he went to the witch in Endor. In 1 Samuel 28, in verse 8, it says, So Saul disguised himself. And put on other clothes, other clothes in those royal robes that would give him away as the king, the one who, who enforced the law of the land, the law that said that such ones as these mediums and spirits, they were to be eliminated, they were to be gone, and even put to death, you can read in the law. But Saul disguised himself because he had a purpose for this one. He was going to use this one. Go to something other than what, well, other than the Lord. So Saul disguised himself and put on other clothes, and he went, and two men with him. And they came to the woman by night, and he said, Please, in the New King James Version, it uses that modern term, conduct a seance for me. In the King James Version, it says divine for me. Either way, it's delve into the things of spirit and into the occult, you know, that sort of thing. Uh, yeah, uh, do this, I don't know, talk show type stuff. Conduct a seance for me, and bring up for me the one I shall name to you. 
And then after some discussion, she did what he asked. In verse 11, then the woman said, whom shall I bring up for you? And he said, bring up Samuel for me. He wanted Samuel. He wanted that one that, while he was kind of a father figure to him and corrected him and chastised him and brought the Lord's word of correction and chastisement to him, he found comfort in that. He knew that there was some measure of this is the... This is what I know, you know, this is where good came from. And so he said, bring up Samuel. And so a spirit did come up when that, when that woman, well, started doing what she did. And the word of God names him as Samuel. And I've spoken that from here before. I don't believe this was just some satanic thing. I do believe that it was actually Samuel who was presented here. God can do such things. Samuel was in the place of the dead. You think God, who raised Lazarus, who raised any number of different ones uh, from the dead, couldn't bring up this spirit and let him speak and speak truth? Uh, No, I absolutely believe that that it is him. And it identifies him. It was Samuel here. Um, he allowed it here. And, and man, Samuel just acted like he did in life, didn't he? Samuel said to Saul in verse 15, Why have you disturbed me by bringing me up? And Saul answered, I am deeply distressed. I'm confined. I am desperate. I am between a rock and a hard place here. I don't know what to do. Saints, I have written down a little saying that I say to myself oftentimes when I find myself in between a rock and a hard place. If you find yourself between a rock and a hard place, go to the rock. <laughs> go to Jesus. Go to the Lord. Not the rock, not the hard place. Ask Him what He wants you to do. If you find yourself stuck between a rock and a hard place, lean on the rock and He will guide you and lead you. Saul didn't do it. I'm deeply distressed. I'm restrained here for the Philistines make war against me and God has departed from me and does not answer me anymore, neither by prophets nor by dreams. Therefore, I have called you that you may reveal to me what I should do. And Samuel said, so why do you ask me? Seeing the Lord has departed from you and has become your enemy. You know, some would look at this as him saying, why are you coming and asking me? Saying, the Lord's abandoned you. The Lord says no. The Lord says, see you. No, I want no peace of you. I think that what Samuel is saying here is, why are you asking me? The Lord has departed you. I am not the Lord. The Lord has departed you. <laughs> Man. The Lord says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. The Lord says, lo, I am with you always, Jesus says. When we were yet the enemies of God, what did Jesus do for us? He died for us when we were yet sinners, the enemies of God. If the Lord has departed from you and become your enemy, what should Saul have done? Lord, I don't want to be your enemy. And so very realistically, I think that we could say that Saul, instead of looking at the number one option... The only option he should have and could have looked could have looked at if he wanted to obey the Lord was looking to the Lord. He very literally looked down. He looked down for Samuel, looking for him. He created an option out of this dead prophet, went out a living God, who wanted to lead him, wanted to lead him from the beginning, promised to bless him if he would only obey, if he would only listen to him. And Saul didn't have it. He said, there's, there's got to be some other way. <laughs> He's not talking to me through dreams and all of that sort of thing. You know what? Sometimes the Lord holds silent 
and doesn't necessarily let us hear him, but that doesn't mean we need to be silent towards him until he tells us to shut up. <laughs> Lord, 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 help me. Lord, help me. Lord, forgive me. Lord, help me. Man, cry out, man. <laughs> cry out to the Lord. Even if you haven't heard him, cry out until he tells you to shut up. Uh, what should Saul have done? Cried out. He should have, well, I think he should have done what the Lord told the Ephesians to do in Revelation 2. Revelation 2, 5, when he says, Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen. Saul hadn't thought about it. Abraham remembered from where he had fallen. Man, I made a mistake early on. I'm not going to get desperate. I'm going to follow him no come what may. This knife, for Pete's sake, man. What a savage thought. But I'm not going to get desperate. I trust the Lord that he, he might even bring this son, this boy up from the dead. He didn't get desperate. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen. Repent and do the first works, the first works of faith, the first works of trust, the first works of love for the Lord. Those things, sometimes we need to return to those. Instead of looking downward for a dead prophet, look upward for God's provision. I'm not going to take you there. There's a number of them. If you want to jot these down and look these up later, Psalm 119. It's a long chapter, a long set of psalms that speaks very much about the Word of God and its effect and its intent and its purpose and its blessing. But all of these things say uh, just what we should feel, how we should do, how we should act. I will run the course of your commandments, for you shall enlarge my heart, the psalmist says. Turn away my eyes from looking at worthless things and revive me in your way and so on and so forth. Remove the options, Lord, and, and help me not to look for the options that would stagger me and hinder me from your way. What did Saul need, saints? He needed, well, in that one instance, he needed simply to wait for seven days. He needed to be faithful and obey the Lord when the Lord gave him direction. He needed to lead his people in battle is what he needed to do and do it according to God's will. Seeking him for blessing. Uh, he needed to just see it through. He needed to follow through on what the Lord had for him. If he made mistakes and the Lord said, I'm taking the kingdom away from you. I'm leaving you in the place for the moment. But I'm taking it away. See it through. That is the resolution. That is the satisfaction of that moment. Yes, it's not what you wanted. Yes, it was something he bought for himself in his error, in the error of his ways, but... The resolution is seeing through to the end what God has said and what he has determined. Abram and Sarai, they just needed to give God the opportunity to satisfy his promise. Just be faithful. Wait on him. Wait another few years when you're even more old, when you're even more wrinkly and more incapable and you're, you're maybe this close to death. Give the Lord the option to satisfy it in his time. Uh, and he will provide a ram. Abraham needed to just see the offering through. See that horrifying situation all the way through. The resolution is what God led him in. Not any other option. He needed to allow God to provide the ram. We can feel desperate in our own issues, there's no doubt. We can sit here and perhaps you are sitting for yourself and considering your job situation, your career situation, your health situation, your age situation, your marriage situation, your lack of a marriage situation, 
your children, your desire for children, whatever the case might be. You might be feeling really desperate today. You might feel to yourself, man, I wish that this situation would come to a resolution. And by the way, I'd like the resolution that I want. (laughs) I wish it would come to a resolution. If I could just get through this, just get through this period and just come to the end of it. Oh, we can get so desperate as to create our options to resolve it now. To resolve it in the way. Even if the Lord tells us, I'm going to have this for you. I don't want to wait for it. So I'm going to take this way and go that way. No. That's an option and an alternative that God doesn't have. And He doesn't promise to make work for you. You remember what God spoke to Job in Job chapter 40? After all of His friends came and all they criticized him and Job spoke uh, with words of despair and desperation and words of great truth and great faith, words of incredulity to his friends and words of incredulity even to the Lord. He says, I know that I'm righteous and I would defend myself, he says. And he wanted, he's like, I grew the day that I was born. This is The day that he was born was something God had for him. And he just despised it in this moment. He was desperate for a resolution to come. And I like how simply the Lord puts it in verse 8 of Job chapter 40. When he speaks directly to that man of God. Would you indeed annul my judgment? I've looked at you. Considered you. I know who you are. I know what's in your heart. I know what's in your mind. I know your tendencies. I know your hurts. I know your needs. I know your wants. I know all of these things. You know, I kind of like these backgrounds because they're all these colors that are all kind of in phase and changing and all of these things. And this is kind of how we are, just all wispy and all that. And the Lord knows every color. And He knows every single piece and component and element of us. And as we sang just a little bit ago, Man, the hair of our heads numbered, all of those things. And we are of much more value than lilies and sparrows. And so he has put forth before us this perfect line and this perfect life of victory and overcoming and and all of these wonderful things. Would you annul my judgment? I'm calling you to this through this way. It's It's the perfect way. Why are you creating options for yourself? Because you feel desperate. I'm not desperate, the Lord is saying. I'm not desperate. I'm not reckless and I don't feel a despair to the point that I'm finding any way that I can bring you here. I know the way. I've used my judgment for you. Would you dismiss that disregard and annul my judgment? Job saw it. Job saw that the Lord was offering him a ram, so to speak. A provision for him. Job answered the Lord and said, I know that you can do everything. And that no purpose of yours can be withheld from you. And he even went on to say, I repent in dust and ashes. I abhor myself, he said. <laughs> Listen, saints, I don't want you to hate yourself. Job was in the midst of this difficult situation. And you know what? There, there's a real truth. <laughs> Man, I can hate my flesh. <laughs> I really... I, I don't think that that's saying too much. Who can deliver me from this body of death as we considered in Sunday school? Praise the Lord Jesus does. He does. The Lord is delivering us. He has a perfect plan. Perfect provision. All we need to do is repent and leave that desperation. Saints, 
Desperation is dangerous for the child of God. How come? Because it brings us to create options for ourselves when the only valid option is God's option. What He has before us. The only perfect option is His. And what it causes us to do is not trust Him to supply the ram. Whatever that ram might be for us. In Abraham's situation, it actually was a ram. <laughs> Listen, this doesn't feel like I'm going in the direction to receive this that God has made plain for me and this that God has made plain for me and this that God has made plain He has for me. This doesn't feel like that's going to get me there anytime soon. But the Lord has promised that He's going to do it. So sharpen your dagger. (laughs) Sharpen your dagger. Raise it up. Be willing to sacrifice whatever it is that the Lord might be calling you to sacrifice. Be willing to wait on the Lord, whatever the situation might be. Don't be desperate, child of God. Don't force the hand of the Almighty God. Don't annul His judgment. Count Him able to accomplish His perfect will. And His perfect will is to do good and a perfect work for you. My God shall supply all your need according to His riches and glory by Christ Jesus. We've looked at that a number of times in the last couple weeks. But God is also able to make all grace abound towards you in 2 Corinthians 9.8. That you, always having all sufficiency in all things, may have an abundance for every good work that He calls you to. Saints, let God lead you. Let God speak to you. If you have a need, you have a struggle, you have a trouble, go to the Lord about it. Hear what He has for you. Hear the direction that He has. And let Him show you what your option is. Option. Singular. And when He has shown you that option, trust Him to provide that ram in the perfect time that He has set aside for you. And it will all be very, very good.